The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Hey, uh, did everybody get a handout? Raise your hand if you didn't get one. Everybody get get a handout? Okay, that's just my outline for tonight, so I wanted to print that out so you guys could kind of follow along and uh, and kind of not hopefully not get lost. Um, anyone need a Bible? And you will definitely need a Bible tonight. Does anyone just happen to not bring one maybe or wants to borrow one or have one? Yeah, okay. I hate to put you on the spot like that. Sorry. Anyone else? Is that okay to throw the word? I don't know. Is that anybody? (laughs) If anybody else needs more, you can walk of shame down here and get them. There's pens at the back. Just kidding. Not really a walk of shame. All right. How's everybody doing? Are you feeling good? I'm feeling great. It's really good to be with you guys. Uh, Okay, if you got a Bible, open it up. Uh, We're going to go two places. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 4, and we're only going to be there for a minute, and then we're going to move on and spend the rest of the night in 1 Corinthians 12. So Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, those are both in the New Testament. Um, While you're finding those places, uh, I'm going to pray. Lord, I thank you so much for what we get to do here. God, it's just been so good to worship you together as a body, to take uh, of the communion elements, to be reminded of, of what you did on the cross, um, to be reminded of your body that was broken, um, to be reminded, Lord, of, of the, the supper that is to come when we look forward to with you in heaven. And God, I just want to start tonight by just declaring uh, that I believe in you, God, that I believe that you are truly who you say that you are. Lord, that I believe that Jesus was, that Jesus, you were the Son of God. That Holy Spirit, you are the third person of the Trinity. I do believe, Jesus, that you did come and incarnate on this earth. I believe that you died on the cross and and paid for the sins of the world. Lord, I do believe tonight that you rose from the dead, conquering death, ascended to the right hand of the Father. I believe, Jesus, that you are in heaven now ministering over us, being our high priest, making intercession over us tonight. God, I believe that. I believe that this is the inherent word of God, Lord, that every word in here was intended by you for the church to build up the church, Lord. And I believe in your church. I believe in the bride not because of the church, but because of you as the head of the body. And Holy Spirit, we, uh, I just confess tonight my inability to to declare um, supernatural truth without you. I'm not interested in talking without you, Holy Spirit. So please come upon us in this room tonight. We want to learn the word. We want to know you better, God. And I pray all those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, there's power in declaring that stuff sometimes, man. It's just like, whew. All right. Um, so, where was I? The church is one of the most debated, underrated, and misunderstood aspects of the Christian life. Let me say that again, because you guys are still getting into teaching mode here. The church is one of the most debated over underrated and misunderstood aspects of the Christian life, bar none. I've talked to so many people, both Christians and non-Christians, that, that you know, maybe they can swallow the God thing, maybe they can get over the Bible thing, maybe they can even believe in the Jesus thing, but they really have a hard time with the church thing. Uh, how, many, how many times have you guys talked to non-believers that said, yeah, I just can't believe in Jesus because the church is just so jacked up. 
You guys ever had that conversation before? Okay, the church is just so jacked up. It's just so broken. How could it possibly be true if these people are, are, are so broken? I hear that all the time. Um, both from believers and non-believers. I've talked to Christians before that say, I have a walk with the Lord. I just can't, I can't go to church anymore. It's too broken. I just don't believe in it. And I had a conversation with a brother just the other day that, that was even just being honest and was just kind of like, man, I just don't know that I really fully understand the purpose of church. It just feels kind of like this appendage. It's just like, it's just like this thing that, that doesn't always um, seem to be that beneficial. Uh, is it really any surprise that the one thing that's broken is the thing that we're in charge of? I shouldn't say we're in charge of it because we're not. But the one thing that we're sort of at the reins of. Um, the church is, is entirely misunderstood. But I want you to think about this for a minute. And I want to put a question in your head. I want to inception into your head a question. Um, and that is, why the church? Why the church? I, I mean, Jesus was the perfect man. Fully God, fully man. He comes down, he incarnates into a human body. And, and, and Jesus um, contained within himself the perfect palette of all the spiritual gifts. He could heal, he could cast out demons, he could preach like no man has ever preached before. He could prophesy, he could speak a word of knowledge right into the heart of a man like Zacchaeus, right into the heart of a man um, like the rich young ruler. He had words of wisdom, he had everything. He was completely filled with the Holy Spirit, he walked in perfect obedience, he was the ultimate man of God. Why did he leave it to us? <laughs> Why did he die and then say, here, you get the church instead. Here you go, world. Here's the church. And, and not only did he do that, he even said some crazy things. In the last uh, few hours of his life, he even told his disciples some stuff like this in John 14, 12. He said, uh, actually, you guys are going to do greater things than me. Really? Greater things than you, Jesus? I mean, Jesus just did he just the, per the perfect things. How could we do greater things than him? And then he even said something more weird. He said, it's actually better that I go, because once I'm out of here, something greater can come. And God's going to do bigger things through you. That's kind of confusing. That's kind of a head-scratcher. Jesus obviously had some really big intentions and some really big plans for the church, which was going to be sort of the chapter two to his ministry, the, the ministry, the continuation to his ministry. But why? And how does that all work? Well, I want to start in Ephesians. So if you guys are there, Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, and I just want to quickly point out a couple things, and then we're really going to spend the whole night in, in Corinthians, so don't get too comfortable here. Uh, but, for, but Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, uh, Paul is, is going off about the church. And uh, just to give it a little context, the first couple of verses, he's, he's talking about the ascension, the fact that Jesus came and now he's gone. He's at the right hand of the Father. He descended. He gave gifts to men, etc., etc. Now he's gone. And then in verse 11, he says, He gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Now pause right there. What, what he's saying is, is that Jesus left, and, and when he left, he sent instead these different offices, these different people, and those people are called the church. In the church, we have different kinds. We have prophets, we have apostles, we, have, we don't have apostles anymore, but we have shepherds, teachers, evangelists, etc. Okay, and then that's what Jesus replaced himself with. And why did he give those? He gave them to equip the saints, verse 12, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the, what? Say it, for the building up of the body, okay, of who? Okay, it's Christ's body, his body. It's not my body. It's not your body. It's Christ's body. By the way, really interesting. This is the only analogy used to describe 
church in the New Testament that wasn't referred to in the Old Testament. This idea of the church being a body is completely unique to the New Testament Christians, which means there's something about us being a body of Christ that's very special and unique to the New Covenant. Just keep that in your mind. Verse 13, we're being built up until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And I want to just underline that last phrase there. He says that the body, through the spiritual gifts, is being grown up to mature manhood. Now, I used to read that verse, and I used to think, because I'm a, a, a young Western um, individualist millennial, I used to think uh, that was talking about me. Till I grow up to be a mature man, because that's what Christianity is. It's about me growing up to fulfill my individual Christian experience, Christian calling. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying what? That the body will grow up to be a mature man. You know what that means? That the church is actually growing up. That it's maturing. That we're, we're const- in this constant cycle. People die and people are born, so we're constantly starting over. But the church, in general, is constantly in this process of maturing into the, 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 the perfect grown man. And look what it says. Don't miss it. He says, in verse 13, until we attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What he's saying is, is that the church's goal is to become at the same level as the fullness of Christ. In other words, the church is the continuation of Jesus' earthly ministry. But listen to me, not just you. It's not just you. You, personally, individually, are not the continuation of Jesus' ministry. Did you know that? You should know that, because you don't have all the gifts. You aren't the perfect man or woman. You don't walk in complete faith. You aren't the perfect evangelist. You aren't the perfect teacher, the perfect prophet, the perfect whatever. You don't have all the gifts. You have maybe one, maybe two, maybe three. The continuation of Jesus' earthly ministry was not you or me. It was all of us. It was the body of Christ. And as the body, we are trying to grow up to be a mature man like Christ. We are the part two, the continuation of the the passing of the torch of Jesus' incarnation and Jesus' earthly ministry. And that was his plan all along. He said, what I'm starting to do here, you guys are going to do. But you're not going to do it on your own. You're going to do it together. What did Jesus do? He brought kingdom to earth everywhere he went. Why did he heal? He healed because in heaven there's no sickness. He cast out demons because in heaven there's no demons. He preached the gospel because the gospel is the truth of the kingdom of God. He brought kingdom to earth. And what are we to do as the church? We're to do the same thing. But we're not to do it alone. We're to do it together. The idea of an individual Christian experience does not exist in the Bible. It does not. This idea that Christianity and and being filled with the Holy Spirit is some kind of a Jedi master deal where you walk around by yourself and evangelize, and you walk around by yourself and, and walk in the gifts, it's not here. The way that we completely mirror and carry on the work of Christ is together. Why? Because all of us are necessary to complete the work of Christ. Does everyone get that? Say amen if you got that. Everyone's struggling with that. Okay. That's why Jesus said in John 15, 5, that I am the vine and you are the branches. All of you. 
We're all making one tree. That's why Jesus said in John 13, 34 and 35, he said that the world will know that you are Christians by your individual evangelism. Well, no, that's not what he said. He said that the world will know that you are Christians by the way that you, uh, how, how good you are at spiritual gifts when you go out the door. Well, that's not what he said. What did he say? The, the world will know that you are Christians by your love. And it's not a general love just for everybody, like, oh, I just love everybody. It's a love for the other members of the church. The way that the early church populated and permeated the culture was not through individual things. It was through the way that they loved each other. It was so weird and so different than what the Greco-Roman world had experienced. See, they were very individualistic like we are in the West. And they saw this body of believers that were just like giving everything they had to each other, selling everything they had and, and, and living in complete and utter dependence on each other. Loving each other in ways that they'd never seen, and it completely blew away, and Christianity exploded to the point where Rome itself even adopted, around the 3rd and 4th century, adopted Christianity as a primary religion. Why? Not because people were individually walking around like Jedis doing all this crazy spiritual gifts. Because of the culture of love that was within the church as a family, as a body, as a unit. When Jesus said that you are a city on a hill... He said that you are the lighthouse for the world, but you're the lighthouse of the world when you're together, not when you're singular. He's talking about the, what, what is implied with a city. A city is a bunch of people, a bunch of different cultures, a bunch of, uh, of diversity interacting. The church is the beacon of light. Does it feel like that sometimes? <laughs> Let me be, can we be honest? Does it feel sometimes like the church is our greatest evangelical tool? Or does it feel like it's our greatest evangelical hindrance. Sometimes I'm afraid to tell people I'm a pastor. Not because I'm ashamed of Jesus, you better believe it. Because I am ashamed of Christianity sometimes. Because, man, the church has done a lot of harm. The church has done a lot of harm. There's a lot of wackos and a lot of screwballs, and everyone's had a weird experience with a Christian at some point, or maybe a non-Christian that was saying they were. Why is that? What do we do with that? The church is in process, okay? The church is in process. We are all in process. God is perfecting his church. Church is full of broken people. God didn't use broken people. We wouldn't have any, he wouldn't have anything to work with, right? Okay, so God is using broken people, and he is, he's, he's, he's perfecting his church. But the way that the church functions and is healthy, what, the way that the church was meant to function is very specific, and it's actually laid out for us in the scriptures. And it's to function as a body. We're to function as a body. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Now, I want to quickly just kind of set the table for this new series that we're doing. And hopefully all that gets you excited about this, because uh, I'm pumped about this, this series. Um, we are going to spend six weeks up until summer just talking about the church and I don't mean heritage, although all of this will apply to heritage. I mean about what does the Bible say the church is? The Bible says six really specific things in addition to some others that the, that the church really is. And we're going to cover all of them tonight. We're going to start with the body, okay? I already gave that away. Um, the body, the church is a body. The church is a temple. The church is a family. The church is a priesthood, as an army, and as a kingdom. 
Ecclesia, in case you're wondering, is the Greek word for church, okay? So that, that, that's kind of where we're headed. We're going to cover those um, in depth over the next six weeks. But tonight, I want to just talk about the body, this idea that the church is a, is a body. And the, probably the most prominent place to do that is in 1 Corinthians 12. So flip back over there to 1 Corinthians 12, and I am going to, I'm going to fail miserably. I was going to try to cover this whole chapter tonight, and we'll see how it goes. Um, you have my outline there, so if you get lost, you'll kind of know uh, where I'm at. But that's kind of the trajectory for tonight. We're going to exposit this whole chapter, and then I just have a couple concluding thoughts that I think um, uh, are on my heart for, for us tonight. So everybody on board with that? Everybody excited? All right, here we go. Let's talk about the church. So there is uh, ultimately here uh, five divisions that you'll see in your outline, and, and we're going to just take those one by one. Um, and we'll just work our way through the chapter. We're going to do a good old-fashioned expository teaching tonight, just verse by verse. And uh, we'll cover every verse in the chapter unless I run out of time. But the five main divisions are this. And you'll see this in your outline. Number one, we're going to talk about the importance of understanding the gifts. Number two, the Spirit's role in the gifts. And there are five things in that. Number three, the diversity of the gifts. Number four, the analogy of the gifts. And number five, the greatest of the gifts. I hope we can get through all those. So let's just jump right in. We're going to start with the importance of the gifts. Look at verses 1 and 2 of 1 Corinthians 12. Paul says this. He says, now, concerning spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be uninformed. I do not want you to be uninformed. It's a very important sentence here that starts uh, this, this, this chapter off. And, and what he's basically saying is, he, first of all, he's saying now, because he just got done going off on them, um, correcting them for how they were completely jacking up the Lord's Supper. Okay? First Corinthians is very much a correction book where Paul is pastoring his church and, and giving them correction because they'd gone off the rails. Um, and, and they had gone off the rails in chapter 11. They'd gone off the rails in, in terms of how they approached the Lord's Supper. They were getting drunk. They were doing some wacky stuff. Okay, they weren't allowing each other to eat because they were showing up and gorging themselves. Just, just weird stuff. Okay, so Paul just got done laying out that. And now he's moving on to the next area of correction. And the next area of correction happens to be the spiritual gifts. And the spiritual gifts matter because the spiritual gifts are how the body exists, how the body functions. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brother, I do not want you to be uninformed. I do not want you to be ignorant. I want you to understand. He wants them to understand because they were getting it wrong. They were completely off base. Now, here's what you need to understand about 1 Corinthians, a little bit of context. 1 Corinthians is not uh, an essay on how to function as the church. 1 Corinthians is a response to what Paul had been informed was going on in the Corinthian church. And there was some pretty wacky stuff going on in the Corinthian church. And a lot of the, the sections in this book are responding to things that had been identified as wrong. So this section, actually chapter 12, 13, and 14, it's all about the gifts and, and really, what Paul is doing is he's answering some kind of a question, some kind of a question that had been posed to him. And I, Rick Boya, actually, he did, he did a good job trying to identify what this question is, and we don't know for sure. But it sounds like they're asking Paul something kind of like this. If you take the answer that chapter 12 gives, it seems like this is the question. It seems like the Corinthians were asking something like this. Isn't it true that the more spiritual you are, the more gifted you will be, and that the more obvious and flashy the gifts, the more gifted you are? This is the way the Corinthians were thinking. They were thinking to themselves, isn't it true, isn't it true, Paul, that, that the, more, the way you can tell how spiritual you are is by how gifted you are? 
And, and, and the way you can tell how gifted you are is by the most flamboyant and extravagant gifts that you have, the more external and obvious and flashy gifts that you have. So if you're speaking in tongues and you're prophesying, you must be really spiritual. And if you're not, then you're probably not so spiritual. If you're the guy setting up tables, yeah, you're probably not very spiritual. This is the way they were thinking. And Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant about this. I want you to get this right because you guys are not nailing this. You're confused about the gifts. I don't want you to be ignorant or uninformed. And look at verse 2. He says, you know that when you were pagans, why does he say that? Well, because he's writing to a Gentile audience. Okay, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute, or some translations say dumb, idols. However, you were led. So he says, the reason I don't want you to be ignorant about the gifts is because you guys still have a lot of paganism running through your veins. You guys were converted out of a paganistic religion, and now you're living according to Christianity. Here's the thing about Christianity. Christianity is not something that you arrive at naturally. It's something that has to be imported. We know that from Romans 12 too. It says that your mind has to be transformed. Okay? Like my mind is not going to just naturally arrive at some kind of a thing where I'm completely others-focused. Okay, like that's just not natural. He's saying that paganism is basically the natural trajectory of when you just let your mind decide what feels good and what feels right. You know what pagan ends up, paganism ended up being? Drunken orgies, gods that could be appeased, a buffet or plurality of gods where you could sort of pick the one that you want and you could buy them off. That sounds like something I would invent in my flesh, doesn't it? Yeah, it sounds great. We'll let our, 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 um, our bodies just do whatever they want. Temple sacrifice or uh, temple prostitution. This was all going on in Corinth. Corinth was known for being this really wicked place full of paganism. And Paul is saying, you need to understand what the church is because if you're left to your own self, you're going to end up like pagans again. And what you're doing with the gifts, the way that you're operating within the body is very pagan-like. It's very pagan-like. It's very, it's very sensually driven. And unfortunately, sometimes when we let the gifts and let them get, them out, of, get out of place, it ends up looking a lot like paganism. It's not about having a real, honest, connected, connectivity with the Lord and understanding who he is and what he's done. It's just about overly focusing on the sensuality of what it is to be with the Lord. I mean, this, this is something that's been going on for a really long time. This is how cults end up coming about, okay? So he's, I don't want you to be ignorant about this. I want you to understand how to use the gifts, and it's very important that you do. Now look at verse 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So now we're moving into our second division, uh, Roman numeral 2 on your notes, and that is that the Spirit's rule of the gifts. Paul takes some time here to unpack what the Spirit uh, has to do with the gifts, and the Spirit has a lot to do with the gifts. In fact, he has everything to do with the gifts. When we get into the list here in a minute of all the gifts, you'll notice after every single gift... He says, in the Spirit, in the Spirit, by the Spirit. It's all by the Spirit. So Paul points out five things here that I want you to get um, about, that he wants you to get about the Holy Spirit in regards to gifts. So uh, we looked at verse 3, look at verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common Good. Now, there's some things that he says in there concerning gifts, five things specifically. The first one is this. He says, the Spirit always exalts the lordship of Christ through the gifts. 
okay? What that means is, is that the Spirit is never going to do anything that does not exalt Christ as Lord. He says that in verse 4, he, or he says that in verse 3, he says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And you might go, duh, that's obvious, but apparently it wasn't for them. Apparently, they were allowing people in the church that were speaking words of knowledge or prophecy that had to do with Jesus being accursed. It might have been a Jewish person because Jewish people believe if you're hung on a tree, then you're cursed. We don't really know. But he says the Spirit will never downplay the lordship of the, of the Son. It will never downplay the lordship of Christ. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You can only declare the lordship of Christ by the Holy Spirit. That's the only way. The Spirit lives. Listen to me. The Spirit lives not to give you goosebumps, not to make you feel funny. The Spirit lives to exalt Christ. And if Christ is not being exalted, the Spirit is not there. If a man is getting exalted for smacking people with his jacket and then falling off the stage, you better believe that's not the Holy Spirit. Now, they may have the word Jesus somewhere in there, but if Christ is not being exalted, then the gifts are not present, and the Holy Spirit is not there. The Holy Spirit is all about the glory and the lordship of Christ. And I picked that word on purpose, because what lordship means is submission. The Holy Spirit isn't just about making me feel things. The Holy Spirit is helping me, growing me, sanctifying me, growing me up to where I'm increasingly living under the submission of Christ as my Lord. That's why it doesn't make any sense to say, oh, the Holy Spirit's on me and I'm speaking in tongues, but, but I'm, I'm still living in rampant sin. The Holy Spirit is not just bringing on the gifts. The Holy Spirit is increasingly moving us towards the lordship of Christ, the submission to God in every area of our life. And if we're not moving towards the submission of God, the Holy Spirit is probably not the one working. People think the Holy Spirit is just there to give them goosebumps. It's not. The truth, the Holy Spirit is who sanctifies us, sanctifies the process that we become like Christ. He's the one doing all of that work. And Paul wants to make that very clear. The second thing he says about the Spirit, the Spirit is the source of the gifts. Okay, now that might seem obvious, but he puts it there. Verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who, op- who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The third thing he says is that the Spirit gives every believer gifts. Okay, don't don't gloss over that. The Spirit gives every, every believer gifts. Look at verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is why we don't agree with our Pentecostal brothers. We love them, but we don't agree with them when they say, that you have to have a second baptism to have the Holy Spirit. Now, there's different types of that, but some people literally say, if you haven't spoken in tongues and you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit and you don't have the Holy Spirit on you yet, I would say, but what about this? What about Romans 8, where it says that anyone that doesn't have the Spirit is not of Christ? That's a sidetrack. But everyone who has the Spirit has a gift, Okay? That's the point. Everyone who has a spirit has a gift. You cannot sit there and say, I'd love to contribute to the church, but I don't have a gift. My, yeah, my gift is playing video games. Sorry, I don't really have. No, you do. You have a spiritual gift. It's a supernatural. Uh, it's something that is, that is put into your account when you are saved. If you didn't have the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't be saved. 
If you didn't have the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't have the faith that you have. It's a supernatural thing. And when you get saved, you not only are atoned for, you're also deposited spiritual gifts. Sometimes they're a blend of, 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 of things that you can already do, but there is a supernatural element to them that only the Holy Spirit can provide. And I believe, and we could disagree about this, but I believe that there's not some second or third or fourth baptism. I believe that when you get saved, God has given you the Holy Spirit, the gifts are there, and then we grow up and learn how to use them over time. That's, that's what I believe. Now, number three. Or I already did number three. Did I? Did I number three? Yeah, I did. Okay. Number four. The Spirit gives gifts. Listen, the Spirit gives gifts for the body, not for the individual. And this is where Corinth was completely missing the boat. They thought that the gifts were given for me. That's why the, the, the problem, child, that, that Paul addresses all throughout these three chapters is tongues. He's like, all you guys want to do is speak in tongues. You think tongues makes you like super spiritual. For those of you guys that don't know, uh, well, we'll get into that. Okay, we'll talk about tongues. That's the, the big controversial thing. Um, but he's saying you're making such a big deal about tongues. He's saying that edifies only yourself unless someone can translate it. No one knows what you're saying. Okay? He, he said the problem is, is that you're, you're operating as though the gifts are for you when they're actually not for you. They are for the body. They're not for you. You, you. you can't choose to withhold them because they're not yours to withhold. They're God's gifts given for others. We don't think like that. We think about gifts in regards to how does it make me feel. You're sitting and reading scripture and God gives you something that may be edifying for yourself, but God did not give you that gift of discernment for you only. He gave you that gift so you can share it, so you can edify the body, so you can build up each other. He makes it very clear in verse 7 in the second half. He says, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit, what, for the common good. It's for each other that we're given the gifts, And then number five, the last thing he says about the Spirit is that the Spirit is the orchestrator of the gifts. The Spirit is the orchestrator of gifts. Look at verse four. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. What he's saying is, is there is one who is orchestrating all of this. I don't know what all of you guys' spiritual gifts are. A lot of you probably don't even know what your spiritual gifts are. But the Holy Spirit is constantly working to bring a common focus with those gifts, whether we see it or not. The Holy Spirit is, is the one who is bringing it all together. And, and listen, the tools don't tell the craftsmen when to use them. Okay? If you're a hammer and you think that you get to decide when you get to hammer, you're going to be a really disgruntled tool and you're going to break a lot of people, okay? And some people think that, man. Like, I have the gift of discernment. Whack! I mean, seriously, just whack you up the side of the head with some kind of like crazy hardcore thing and you're like, whoa, that was not of the Lord. You were just being a jerk. That is totally different, right? The Holy Spirit decides when and how the gifts are used. The Holy Spirit is orchestrated. I'm really thankful for that because I don't even, I don't think any of us really fully realize exactly how we're put together. Only the Holy Spirit knows. And he is orchestrating all of it for his purposes. He is the orchestrator. 
Now, let's move into the next section, uh, which is verses 8 through 10, and this is where we actually get into the gifts. I'm going to try not to get lost in the weeds, um, because if I start talking about all these too much, um, we're going we're gonna to go off the rails. But I have to say something about this list. This is one of the most exhaustive lists of the gifts, okay? Um, and the problem is, is people go to this list, and they go, okay, which one am I? Okay, don't do that. This is not an exhaustive list. Paul was not looking to sit down with his quill pen and go, let me list the gifts for you, and then you can choose, or you can take your Myers-Briggs test, and it'll tell you exactly what gifts you have. Like, that is not the point of this. We know that because whenever he lists gifts, he never says these are all of them, and he never lists the same list. What he's doing is he's taking a random sampling of the gifts to make a point. Okay, that would be like if I got up here to preach and I was trying to give an illustration about jobs and I just said, oh, I don't care if you're a, a wood carver or if you're a police officer or a congressman. And then somebody hundreds of years later read that and went, oh, I have to be one of those three things. Oh, darn it. I guess I can't fix pipes anymore, you know, or whatever. I got to be a congressman, you know, like, no, it's not what he's saying. He's just taking a random sampling of some of the gifts to make a point. And the point is very clear that he makes. So just keep Keep that in mind, and that's why I don't want to spend forever breaking down each of these, but it is interesting, okay? So, Roman numeral number three on your notes, we're going to talk about now the diversity of the gifts. Let's read it, verse eight. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. And these are empowered by one and the same spirit. Okay, so that's the list. I'm just going to work through them quickly, uh, really quickly. Uh, and, and yeah, I'm not going to get to a lot of the stuff I wanted to say, but that's okay. You can study them on your own, and they're highly debatable anyway, so I'd probably end up saying stuff that you would disagree with and get mad at me anyway. So um, I'll just quickly touch on them. The first one he says is the utterance of wisdom. Okay, the utterance of wisdom, and the, the, the Greek words for that are logos, which is the word, um, and wisdom, which is sophios. And essentially, uh, and this is debatable, okay, but it would seem that the utterance of wisdom uh, would be someone who is able to take the word of God and apply it in such a way that applies tangibly in life. Okay, there are people in my life that have this gift, and I call them when I am uh, kind of at a crossroads, and I know that they honor the Lord. I know that they've lived some years with the Lord. I know that they know the word. And, and, and sometimes I just am like looking, like maybe they have a word of wisdom for me. Okay, anyone call their dad? Yeah, like my dad, I call him. Okay, my, my, my dad has good wisdom in that, in that, that area. Now, there, there, is, there is earthly wisdom and there is supernatural wisdom and they're very different. Just because you're a wise person doesn't mean that you're a supernaturally wise person. The believer that has the gift of the utterance of wisdom is a supernatural word of wisdom, okay? The second one is the utterance of knowledge, the same word, logos, but this time it's knowledge instead of wisdom. And a lot of people believe that this is the gift of being able to discern the scriptures, the knowledge within the scriptures. When Paul talks about uh, discovering the mysteries of the word, right? Uh, we see this kind of show up in 1 Corinthians 13 too. And he says, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, he seems to be talking about the gift of knowledge there. So it seems like it's this kind of ability to get in and understand the word. Um, now we know that the word has to be understood supernaturally, because the Jews have been reading it for thousands of years, and they're still blind, right? So the Holy Spirit 
uh, can give the gift of knowledge. Um, and I pray every time I'm doing sermon preparation uh, at this church that God would give me the gift of knowledge. Lord, help me understand this thing. Help me understand the mysteries of this word. Help me put things together. Because if I'm just looking at it through, through, through my own eyes, I'm going to come up with some weird things. Okay, so the utterance of knowledge. The third one is faith. He says there's a gift of faith. That's not talking about saving faith. It's talking about this extra portion of faith. Okay, it's talking about something over and above that. It has nothing to do with being saved, because once you're saved, you're saved. But he's saying that there seems to be this gift, this supernatural gift of God giving an extra portion of faith in certain moments. Okay? Um, we see this all throughout the scriptures. We, we see this uh, in Paul when he was on the boat. Okay? And, and, and the storm came up, and Paul said, I have faith. He had to be believed that they were going to be delivered. They, they were delivered. <laughs> Stephen, for kind of like the guy. In Acts, the guy's about to get stoned. Not Oregon stoned, real stoned. I, can't, I feel like I can't not make that joke now because Oregon is such a pothead place. Okay, um, I shouldn't have said that too. Oh. Okay, uh, whatever. Okay, so supernatural faith can be given in moments, okay, to believers. Um, I was just talking to a brother the other day who was telling me a story about, um, this was so cool, he was telling me a story about how his heart um, started doing this thing where, where it started irregularly beating, uh, you know anything about this kind of stuff? Um, regularly beating to the point where the, he went to the ER and they were literally going to have to stop his heart and start it again. And they told him that. And he just kind of had this like measure of faith given him. And he's just kind of like, Lord, if you could just do that for me instead of them. Like if you could just jumpstart my heart instead of them. And they came back in the room and his heart was fine. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, that's really cool. You know, that's, uh, that's a really awesome display of God giving a gift in a moment of faith um, for, for a moment, for, for God's glory. It's really cool. James seems to talk about this when he says the prayer of a righteous person is great power as it is working. And then he talks about Elijah was a man with a, nat- with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. I would like to think that the Holy Spirit can give me the gift of faith sometimes when I really need it. A lot of times, though, he doesn't give you it until you need it. <laughs> That's the frustrating part. Okay, you, put yourself, you start putting yourself in positions where you need that gift of faith, and God will start divvying it out. Okay? The next one, gifts of healing. Now, this is where it starts getting really controversial because there's a lot of people that don't believe that there is a gift of healing. Um, I'm, I'm kind of one of them, but I'll, let me explain that. Okay? Uh, I, I believe that God heals, and I believe that God can use someone to heal, but I don't believe that there are people out there that possess the gift of healing. Okay? And I'm probably a pretty majority position on that. I think most people don't think that there is some kind of Jedi knight walking around that can heal whenever he wants. I just don't think that that's true. Um, and I don't think that because the way that the Greek there is, is it says gifts of healings, uh, plural. So it seems to be talking about like, like there are times when God will heal and God will give someone the ability. I think it's kind of similar to the faith thing. God will give times where you pray and God gives you that gift in that moment to heal someone. I don't think there is some guy hitting people with his jacket on stage that can just heal people whenever he wants. I just don't think that's true. Uh, and, and we could disagree, and that's fine. But I believe that the gifts of healing um, are, are multiple things. Now, this is where it gets, gets controversial, and I just want to talk about this really quick. There's two basic camps when it comes to the supernatural gifts. Supernatural gifts meaning uh, miracles. Um, they would put tongues in here, healings, things like that. Um, prof- pro- prophecy in the sense of telling the future. There's two camps in Christianity, and I'm generalizing, but there's two camps. One is the cessationist, and one is the continuationist. 
Now, the cessationists, they believe that the gifts, the supernatural gifts, have ceased with the death of the apostles. They believe that God gave those gifts just for the apostles so that, that God could sort of say, hey, these are my boys. These are the ones to listen to. They can write the Bible, but it's over when they're dead. Um, and, and then they believe uh, the, that we have access to other gifts, but not those particular supernatural gifts. So they don't believe that tongues are a thing. They believe we're, anyone that does that is just, is just kind of out, out of their mind. Um, and the other is the continuationists, and the continuationists believe, uh, actually, that the gifts are for today, and all the gifts that we saw in the book of Acts can be possessed today. Um, where I'm at on some of that is somewhere in the middle, I think. I think, like I said, I think some of those gifts are, God still does them, but I don't think you can possess some of those gifts, um, and that's just my own personal uh, position. Now, there's something I want to show you really quick, and hopefully uh, I won't lose you guys on this, but in verse 4, go back to verse 4 really quick, there's a theory Okay, that I want to just throw out to you. And I'm not saying it's right, but I'm just saying, hey, maybe it is. Who knows? There's a theory as to how we decide which of these gifts are which. Um, and, and some people actually believe that there's some divisions within the gifts. So look at, look at uh, verse 4 of chapter 12. Paul says this. He says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Now, some people would say that Paul is actually listing three different kinds of gifts there. The first one is uh, the one that you're most familiar with. It's the Greek word charismata, which is uh, gifts of grace. Charis being grace, charismata. So it, it, these are the gifts that we see in Romans 12. These are the ones that, 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 like gifts of prophecy, gifts of teaching. These are the supernatural gifts that God gives to believers and that we can somewhat possess. But I don't think those are the gifts necessarily, and these people would say that those aren't necessarily the supernatural gifts, the healing, the miracles, etc. Then he says the next one, he says that there's services, and that's the word diokonia, which is a form of where we get deacon, and that's just practical serving. Okay, there's just practical things that you can do. The deacons were called to, to wait the tables, okay? Um, so, so that there's those kinds of gifts. Those are just things that you just have. They're not necessarily supernatural. They're just, hey, I can, I can build a rocking horse, man, and that's, that's, that can be a gift of service. But then there's this third one, okay? And again, this is theory. I don't know what I'm just saying. Just open your brains. Think about it. There's this third one, which is, I like how the NASB translates it. It's effects. Because there are some gifts of effects, and the Greek word there is very different it's a word called energamata. Energamata. And energamata is this idea of an energizing power from God. Okay, It's this affecting or this energizing power from God. And so some people think that Paul is actually saying that there is this separate category of gifts, such as miracles and healings, that, are for, that, that may only happen once in your life. And God may affect that by supernatural power in a moment and then that may be the only time. Maybe it'll happen two times. Maybe it'll happen three times. But you don't control it. Some people think that, and some people think they can sort the gifts into those kind of categories. I probably wasted five minutes of your time with that. But study it out. Think about it. Look into it yourself. Um, that's just kind of a side note. The next one is the working of miracles. Okay, the working of miracles. Uh, and that, that kind of falls in the same category of, of healing. Some people think that ceased. Some people don't. Um, and I think that uh, God can use, at certain times, people to work miracles. I don't know that any one person possesses that gift. Um, the next one is prophecy. And prophecy is actually a really big deal in the New Testament. Paul spends like a whole chapter talking about it um, because he really likes it. <laughs> he thinks it's pretty important. Uh, and he actually pits it against tongues. It's like prophecy versus tongues, and prophecy wins. And the reason why is because prophecy edifies the church. 
Prophecy builds up the church. Well, what is prophecy? Some people think prophecy is foretelling the future. Um, I think it could be. Uh, it doesn't really matter what I think. Uh, the, the, I think prophecy in its most understandable term is, is defined for us in 1 Corinthians 4, 14.3, and it's this. Paul says, this is what prophecy is. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for three things. their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Okay? Upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. And I would say, because there are no Old Testament prophets anymore, Jesus was the last one, that that is probably should be rooted in the scriptures. What prophecy really means in the Greek, it really just means to speak or to proclaim. I think prophecy is when you, this is my, my opinion, um, uh, it's impossible not to take a stance on some of these things, okay? But, but I think prophecy is when you take the word of God and you proclaim it in such a way that speaks into a specific context, it's different than teaching. Teaching is sort of just giving, uh, like what I just did a minute ago. I'm just telling you guys some information. Prophecy, I believe, is spoken by the supernatural Holy Spirit into a moment, into a context, into a place, in a way that pricks the heart. The Old Testament prophets actually mostly did that. People just think of them as these oracles that walked around saying what was going to happen, but they did very little of that. Actually, they were preachers, and they preached the word of God. And the word of God for them was the law. And in the law, it said, Israel, if you don't shape up, God's going to do all this stuff. And that's what they did. They preached, they proclaimed, uh, and they prophesied. I think that's what New Testament prophecy, I'll say it like this. New Testament prophecy is simply the declaration of God's word, empowered by the Spirit, with clarity into a specific contextual moment or setting. I pray every time I preach that God would prophesy through me. I'm not interested in just coming up here and giving information. I want to speak the living word of God into a context that will actually affect change and prick people's heart. I think it's very important. I think it's one of the most underrated gifts um, in all the Bible, and you can study it somewhere on your own. The next one is to distinguish between spirits. Uh, that's just discernment, essentially. Uh, the next one, variety, various kinds of tongues. Oh, this one is so controversial. Some people think it just means real languages and that it ends with the apostles. Some people think it's a prayer language. I personally have never spoken in tongues, um, but I would never go so far as to say it's not a prayer language because people that I highly respect have done that and believe that it's true and authentic. And it would seem that Paul's talking about some kind of a language in 1 Corinthians uh, 12 through 14. So there's that. Uh, the next one is interpretation of tongues. Seems obvious. Those are the gifts listed here. Now, listen to me. The point of those gifts is not so that you can reach into the barrel and walk, pull out with a handful and figure out what you are. That's not the point. Paul is making some specific points here, and the points that he's making are developed in the next section. Okay? After he gives this list of gifts, which he's really just trying to say, hey, there's a lot of diversity in these gifts. You notice how different they all are? You notice how different? Like, not, of us, not all of us are the same. We're all different. What do you know? Now, subheading or, uh, Roman numeral number four in your notes. He gets into the analogy of the gifts. Okay, so he lists those off, and then in verse 12, um, he gets into really the meat of what I wanted to talk to you guys about. We only have five minutes to talk about it. Um, he says this. He says, For just as the body is one, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. What's he talking about? He's talking about the body of Christ. Okay? Uh, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. 
If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the, whole, where, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unrepresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. And he goes on. Okay, now Paul is painting a picture here. He's giving you an analogy. And he's doing it very well. He's saying that you guys are like the body. And the body has some things we could learn from. Okay, he says three things in specific about the body. The first one is that, is this, that the body is one. The body is one. And you, can't, you could say, you know, I don't like this arm. I think it's stupid. I don't agree with it. I don't like how it looks. It's got three freckles, and this one has two. Um, this one's a little bit stronger. And so, you know, I don't want this arm to be on anywhere, so I'm going to tie it behind my back. I'm going to put, put some fabric over it, and I'm going to put a sign that says, no arm here your arm's still there. It's still part of your body. You can, you can get as far away from it as you want, but it's still part of your body. Uh, and that's the first thing Paul is trying to say here. He's just saying that you guys are one. If you go back and look at the verse 11, or 11, 12, and 13, he says one like eight times. One in the same spirit. One in as many members. One spirit. One body. All of you are one. He's talking about the unity. He says whether you like each other or not, you're one body. Now this is where I think that God's want to prophesy a little bit here tonight, okay? I think that this is one of the biggest shames in Christian evangelicalism. Is that we get into churches when we first get saved. And we go, man, these people drive me crazy. They're not like me. That guy's always talking about emotional stuff, and that guy's a big stick in the mud, and that guy's always talking about theology, and this guy's always trying to get me to raise my hands. These people drive me crazy. I'm going to go find a church of people exactly like me. Stupidest thing you could ever do. Think about how stupid it would look for a body to be all hands. That's what Paul's saying. That would be ridiculous. Every part of the body is needed. Every part of the body must be there. And you can pretend like parts of your body are not there, but they're still there. And they're there for a reason. I just got my wisdom teeth out, and they hit a nerve on my lower gums, and I can't feel this part of my lip. Not once in my entire life did I think, wow, my lip was really important. This little section of my lip is really important. Never thought that once in my life. You know what I've been thinking about the last six weeks? Man, I wish I could feel my lip. Keep biting it. Keep chewing on it. For crying out loud, that little piece of my lip is so important. I've talked to people who have lost a toe before. They can't jump. I mean, this is important. All the parts of the body. He's just using a very simple analogy to illustrate the fact that we need the whole body. The problem is, is we want to pretend like certain parts of the body of Christ don't belong. I love the Pentecostal. I was in the Pentecostal church for a long time. I don't agree with everything, but I love those guys. I learned from those guys. I went to a Pentecostal conference a couple years ago, and I learned a lot. And people would say, Sam, that's wrong. And I say, I disagree. You can pretend like your arm's not your arm. It's still your arm. Go learn from it. Go use it. The problem is all the people that are emotionally driven, they leave and go to charismatic churches. 
where they can express their emotion, their emotionally driven type of personality. All the type A people that just want to study the Bible and replace the Holy Spirit with scriptures, they go to all the super conservative reform churches. And then they fight with each other. And they call each other heretics. And they have conferences all about how they're all heretics and apostate. And we're not learning from each other. I want to learn. I want to be part of the body. I don't want to get so inbred and isolationist with everyone that's exactly like me that I don't ever learn and grow. Amen? We're a body. We need every part of the body. And that's not just true outside. That's not just true on a big scale. That's true here in this church. Some of you guys are going to be very tempted, maybe in the next minute after the sermon, to go find another church because you don't like the style of preaching. <laughs> don't go! We need you. Maybe there's something I need to learn from you. Maybe you need to tell me how to preach better. Okay, if you go, we'll never learn. Some of you guys don't, you know, some of you guys don't like the, the style of music that we have, and you think, oh, man, I just I can't handle that. If you leave, then we'll never learn from you. You have to stay. We need every different part. And if we're all the same, it's never going to work. The body of Christ is not meant to be homogenous. It's, been, it's meant to be heterogeneous. A bunch of different people that don't get each other. You know one of the things I love about our church staff? We're so different. We all poke so much fun at each other. Like Brent, man, Brent is so on top of things. Like he, he, he comes in with like a, whenever I have a meeting with Brent, he's got a paper with bullet points. And I'm just like the guy that's just like, huh? Like, I didn't think about that, you know? Like there's three guys on the staff, me, Jeff, and Jeremy. We're just like pastorally, emotionally driven. We're just like fly by the seat of our pants. And then there's a few other guys, Aaron and Brent, um, uh, what's Mitch? I don't know where Mitch is, but uh, Aaron and Brent, and, uh, and man, they're like, they're like on it, dude, and they're like, they're on top of things. And we drive each other crazy, don't we? Don't we drive each other crazy? But we love each other. And we need, Aaron's like, yeah, you guys are killing me. <laughs> Aaron is so on top of it, okay? We need each other. We need each other because we need some guys that are kind of creative in the moment and could just kind of fly by the seat of your pants. But if it's all those guys, we're in trouble. We're sinking, man. Someone's got to do the budget. Someone's got to figure out where we're going to meet. Someone's got to make sure we don't get arrested. And someone's got to make sure that we don't get sued. You know what I'm saying? It's all important. The body is all important. We all need to be here, and we need to see value in each other. It's all that Paul is saying, okay? The toe is important. The lip is important. All of it. And you could tie it behind your back and pretend like it's not there, but it's still there. One of my favorite things on YouTube, if you go Google this, I don't know if you're familiar with these guys, but two of my favorite pastors, John Piper and John MacArthur. These guys are legends, they're like 80 years old now. Um, but these, are, these guys are legends. They've preached so many amazing sermons and have benefited so much from both of their ministries. And they could not be more different. John MacArthur is like pragmatic. He's just like, you just do what you're supposed to do. You just get up and you read your Bible and you just do it. And John, John Piper is just all, I just feel the Lord today and I just, I'm just struggling to read my Bible. You know, and it's like they're so different, but they're friends. And, and so they did this panel at some conference where they sat down and it was just the funniest thing. John Piper's talking about this midlife crisis he went through and he's talking about how he just was struggling. He was on the porch and he was just weeping and his wife came out and she said, what's wrong with you? And he's like, I don't know. And he's just, he's just so, just feeling the Lord. I love John Piper, by the way. Okay, and John MacArthur's sitting over there looking at him like, are you kidding me? And the guy that's running the panel goes, what, you've never experienced something like that? He's all, no, that's so weird. That's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. You know, I mean, these guys could not be more different. 
But I have benefited from these two men. I don't know them, but I've benefited from these two men and their commentaries and their books and their sermons and their ministries immensely and the differences that they bring. And we've got to learn to function within that. Don't go find your guy and just become like your guy. All of us have the guy that we like. Oh, that's my guy. I listen to his, his MP3s. I listen to his podcast. Oh, I'm going to go to his church because I really like that guy. He's a lot like me. If he's a lot like you, then you might not need to go there because they might already have that part covered. Okay? You might need to go somewhere where they're not like you so that you can bring the piece that's missing. Okay? Now, I'm just going to close with three points, uh, and I'm literally just going to read them, and then we're going to be done. Three things I want you to take away from this. Three things I want you to take away this. Number one, listen, the body is only functioning at its full capacity if you are in it, functioning in your gifts. Don't leave. We need you. We need exactly what you're good at. We need exactly the way your brain works, even if it's different than the way mine works. We need you. The only time, the only way that we're functioning at full capacity is when everyone is here, everyone is on board. Can you imagine what this church would do in this valley if everyone that is here, just right now, I'm not talking about any more people, but just the people we have right now were fully functioning in their gifts and doing it for the complete purpose of each other. I mean, this, this valley would just explode with the gospel. It would. We wouldn't need to have evangelic, evangelistic programming. It would just happen. People would be so caught off guard by how weird heritage was in a good way that they would want to be here. The body was meant to function, but you have to be here. The second thing is you are only growing. This is important. Don't tune out. You are only growing if you are in the body, functioning in your gifts and benefiting from others. You're not going to grow unless you're operating in your gifts. And you're not going to grow unless you're letting people operate their gifts on you. This is why I'm passionate about small groups. This is why small groups matter. This is why I will preach small groups until I'm in the grave. Because you cannot be operating in your gifts on a Sunday morning. If you can, I'm really impressed. You know, I mean, you, you know, you just, how, how are you going to do that? You're in, you get a donut, you drop the kids off, you hear the sermon. It's, it's very important. Sunday morning is very important, right? But it's not necessarily the perfect context to actually exercise your gifts and have other people exercise their gifts on you. Small groups are the place for that. It's the place where you get to know each other. It's the place where you can actually give a word of wisdom, where you know someone enough to actually tell them a piece of wisdom that you found in the scripture that might apply to them. It's important. And that's a huge part of how we grow, is not only having people give us their gifts, but also utilizing ours. And listen, you have to place, number three, you have to place yourself into a context that will allow you to function as the body. If you're just coming on Sunday morning, you are not functioning as the body. If you are only doing a physical thing, like I come and I set up a chair, you are not functioning as the body. It's important that you set up a chair, but you also have a unique gifting that is a spiritual gifting that is edifying to the soul of another person, and we need that too. You can't just say, well, I'll just come set up the chair. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to minister to anybody. No, we need your experience. We need your understanding of the word. We need your giftings. And the way that you can do that is to get in a group and start loving on people, to get in a group and start prophesying to people, to get in a group and start using gifts of discernment and gifts of service and gifts of teaching and all of these things to operate as the body and to begin to edify the church. Amen? Let's all stand, would you? I didn't get all the way through, but I got close. 
Lord, I just am thankful tonight for the church. Though it's so misunderstood and so downplayed, it is truly an amazing thing. And there's no place I'd rather work than with your church, God. There's no place I'd rather be than with your people. And God, I just pray that this church would begin to operate, all of us, in the fullness of the gifts that you've given us, that we would grow up into a mature man unto the measure of the fullness of you, Christ. Lord, I pray that this valley would know that we are Christians by the way that we love one another. Help us to be the body, I pray, God. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Sorry I went a little late, guys. God bless your night.